you there. This morning's message is Advent. It's the beginning of the Advent season, and the title is Favor, Fear, and Surrender. Favor, Fear, and Surrender. We're going to look at some of these aspects from Luke chapter 1 this morning. We're going to begin in verse 3. Just briefly look at verse 3 of Luke 1. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know with certainty of those things in which you were instructed. The author of the Gospel of Luke obviously is Luke, and he also wrote the book of Acts, and he wrote them to convince this man, this individual named Theophilus, of some truths. And the Lord wants to convince us of those same truths even during this Advent season. The season of Advent is uh, traditionally celebrated as the coming of the Lord, the comings where we celebrate not just his first coming, but also his second coming, how he is made known to us even now in the present. And this is the first Sunday of the Advent season. And the word Advent It means, in Latin, the word to arrive. It's an arrival. It is a a pronouncement where God comes onto the scene of humanity to make known truths to our heart. And he doesn't just do it one time, but he wants us, as his people, to reflect on the power and the beauty and the significance of his appearing to us. Because the same truths that are revealed in the word of God from the past, he wants us to know and believe and trust in those same truths even today. And the reason is because our heart is so easily tempted by fear and doubt and the cares of this life, and the Lord wants us to engage with him around the person of Jesus, and that we would be convinced of his grace and his favor and his love, even in spite of our fears, even in spite of our doubts. And so it's a time where the body of Christ is invited into meditating on the coming of the Lord. Well, this word advent doesn't just mean his appearing or his coming, but It also means to develop something or to set something into motion or to arise. And what happens is is when we meditate on the truth of the Lord's coming, his birth and his revealing to creation of who he is and what he's like through Christ, something happens within us. Something is forged within us. Something rises up within us And that's one of the things that I love about the Advent traditions is that they call us every year to revisit these truths so that our hearts are encouraged and stabilized. And I think now, maybe more than ever for some, we need to be strengthened and encouraged and stabilized by the person of Jesus because the things that we're facing in society, the things that we're facing in our family lives, in our personal lives, in the body of Christ, there is a constant 
temptation to be destabilized and to fall into fear and doubt and shrink back. And the Lord is looking at his church and he's saying, if you only knew how I felt about you, if you only knew what I'm inviting you into, even in the times of fear and insecurity and instability, he said, your heart would be stabilized and you would find great joy and rejoicing in me. Well, I'm gonna read a portion of this, <clears throat> beginning in verse 26. Now look down at verse 26. In the sixth month, I'm gonna kind of paraphrase and just breeze through this. I'm not gonna read it word for word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel is sent by God to Galilee to a virgin that was betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. We know that's Mary. And this is what the angel says when he comes to her. Look at verse 28. Having come to her, the angel says to her, I mean, he appears and he says, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you and blessed are you among women. I wanna take just a moment of pause here to kind of align our view of Mary because many over the years, we kind of have exalted Mary to this high and lofty being of such purity and piety and all this stuff. And I think by doing that, we accidentally lose the truth of what is being communicated here. We actually diminish the truth of God's favor and his grace and his power that's made known to us when we exalt Mary beyond where she is meant to be honored. And it's very common to kind of enshrine Mary and put her so far above ourselves that we don't actually identify with her. And it's kind of like an angel, Gabriel, talking to another angel named Mary. And sometimes we forget that Mary is a person just like us. She has hopes, she has fears, she has disappointments, and she's about to face a really, really challenging life when she goes and tells everyone in the village that God has given her a baby. I mean, that's really gonna raise some eyebrows around Nazareth, especially to Joseph and her family. And that stigma that she bears stays with her the rest of her life because in the gospels, the gospel accounts, the religious leaders bring up to Jesus in order to discredit him or attempt to the scandal around Mary having given birth to this one and she's holding fast to her story. God overshadowed me and the Holy Spirit put this baby inside of me. I mean, this is a real story that someone, this girl Mary, is going through. And we're meant to identify with Mary, not enshrine her and lift her to a place of you know, angelic saintlyhood where we can never identify with her. She's a person. She's just a young girl. And we need to keep that in mind because when we identify with Mary, the truths that we're gonna see here about God's favor and Mary's fear and then her surrender, they become more applicable to us. And we want those truths to be applicable to us, not just a fairy tale that we're reading, but something practical that we can apply to our very lives. So the angel Gabriel says, rejoice. Highly favored one, the Lord is with you and blessed are you among women. 
But when she saw him, she was troubled. At his saying, she considered the manner of greeting. Then the angel says to her, don't be afraid. And he says, you have found favor with God. So that's the second time that he's highlighting the favor that she carries. And again, I want you to keep in mind just the normal girl that Mary was. And whether you're a man or a woman, we can identify with the normalcy in which Mary was living her life and suddenly her plans and her dreams and what she thought was gonna happen, you know, getting married to Joseph and having a nice little carpentry business, have some kids, is suddenly divinely interrupted in a way that would change all of history forever and ever and ever, really remarkable. But the point is, is that we wanna emphasize the power and the goodness of God more than the power or goodness of Mary. Though we honor her and though we esteem her, we don't hold her up in that overly high regard. Anyway, you get the point. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and you will call his name Jesus. Hallelujah. And he will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And he's relaying to her these details that she's gonna bear the messianic seed. He's gonna sit on the throne of David. He's gonna be exalted to the highest place in the nation and he's gonna save the world from their sins. I mean, this is a remarkable message that this angelic being, Gabriel, who's known as the messenger of the Lord, he only shows up a handful of times throughout scripture and he shows up to this young maiden girl and begins telling her of the great purposes of God and the great favor of God upon her life. Mary, in verse 34, says, how can this be? Because I don't know a man. I'm not married yet. And the angel says to her, the Holy Spirit is gonna come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. I can only imagine, I mean, this is made up, but Mary's saying, can can you say that part again? Because the who, the what's gonna over, the, the Holy Spirit's gonna what? Because she has to go from this encounter with the angel and go and tell people about it and explain to her in a few months why she has the baby bump appearing. She's like, what was that line again? Oh yeah, the Lord said that the Holy Spirit would overshadow me. And you know, people are like, right. And he would overpower it and the the Spirit of the Lord would give birth to the, I mean, it's just, the, the story is bizarre. It's just a really crazy story. And then the Lord, or the angel says in verse 37, where with God, nothing is going to be impossible. And Mary says, and this is the phrase that really captures me. Behold, I'm the maidservant or the handmaiden. Or Paul said, I'm the bondservant of the Lord. It's the same idea. I'm the bondservant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. I mean, what a statement. The angel of the Lord shows up and basically says, you're gonna have a son, but it's gonna wreck your life and your reputation forever, just so you know. And she, in her faith, without seeing a sign, without having it proven to her, without whatever, whatever, she goes, let it be done to me according to your word. That measure of faith provokes me. I mean, it stirs my heart. I want... When the Lord invites us into our calling with him, whether it's in ministry, the marketplace, or whatever it is, we all have a calling of God upon our life that our response would be, no matter what happens to me, 
No matter what stigma comes, no matter what things I suffer, no matter what opportunities I lose out on, be it done to me according to your word. I am your voluntary servant. I'm the bondservant of the Lord. I'm the handmaiden of the Lord. So powerful. Well, the first thing that the Lord does through the angel Gabriel is he communicates his favor to Mary. And this is really significant because it's not often that we receive favor before we do anything. Most of our life is trying to do something or position ourselves in some particular way in order to receive favor from other people. But the angel shows up and he says two different times, he says, Mary, you're highly favored of the Lord. He reminds her two different times. He says, this is how the Lord sees you. And this is how the Lord feels about you. You have such high esteem and you are greatly beloved in heaven. And here's what's so remarkable about that is that she hadn't done anything yet. She hadn't carried the baby. She hadn't borne the stigma. She hadn't told everyone, hey guys, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She hadn't done anything yet. She hadn't been obedient. She hadn't stayed faithful to the very end. And what we see in this proclamation over Mary is the same thing that we see in God's proclamation over you. You are highly favored of God, not because you've done something to earn it, but because God feels that way about you. He just wants to. He just sets his affection upon humanity. He just looks at them and he says, I just like them. I just enjoy them. I just want them to be forever with me. And before they go sign up to do some mission work or give their life to me and pledge it and you know they just sell out entirely and they read their Bible and they witness to their neighbors and they give money, all the good things that we do, the Lord says, you have favor before me. And that favor is the revelation of the grace of God. The grace of God is his unmerited favor that he gives to us through the cross. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. We can't stir ourselves up to become the recipients of the favor of God. God has chosen on his own, of his own accord, to look down at weak, dorky people like us. People that if it were up to us, we would disqualify ourselves. We would say, surely there's no way that I can be the recipient of the favor of God. I haven't done that much for you. I'm not that great. I know my own failures. I know my own sins. I know my own propensity. I get so discouraged easily. I get angry. I'm lustful. I'm envious and all these things. And honestly, I think if it were up to us, we would disqualify ourselves. And I bet many believers, you know, metaphorically, we look in that mirror of our life and we spend a lot of time trying to talk God out of not loving us and enjoying us. And we bring to him our resume of failure. We bring to him our resume of how we haven't done well and how we're not really that committed. And we just remind God constantly of how much we don't deserve his favor. And he's constantly reminding us, it's not up to you. I just get to choose to love you and enjoy you regardless of what you think about it, even of what you think of you. And somehow we've put ourselves in a position of God 
and we've made ourselves the judge of our own life, and we've said, you know what? I really don't deserve the favor of God. I don't deserve his forgiveness. I don't deserve his mercy and his love. And when we do that, we click into this other mode where we can't enjoy and delight in the favor and the grace of God, which is part of the Advent story. The giving of the Son to the earth, we call that the incarnation, when Jesus became a man. The giving of the Son to the earth was God's statement to the cosmos, I will give my beloved Son to my enemies because I love them and because I enjoy them and I want to be with them forever and ever and ever. And if there's anything that God is trying to convince you of in this season, or in this Advent season, it's this. His favor is unmerited towards you. He just delights in you. He just looks down at you and rejoices over you. He sings songs over you. And that so stirs me and encourages me, especially in days like this. Paragraph C in the notes. God's favor towards Mary was because of his choosing rather than her obedience. I mean, the way that we do it is you show up, you know, you show up to your kids, you give them the mission, clean the house. And depending on how they do in terms of cleaning the house is the uh, measure by which they either receive favor or are docked favor, right? Because we wanna see results, baby, like get that floor clean, get those toys put away, get that laundry folded, whatever it is. We wanna see it before you get my favor. If you don't do that yet, you don't get my favor. You know, I'm being, I'm being silly because obviously we favor and love our children anyway. But with God, the economy of heaven, it's very different. He looks at Mary, he goes, I have a mission for you. I have a plan for you. But before you even do it, before you even say yes, before you overcome the fear and doubt that you have to work through even in this conversation, he goes, you already have my favor. Heaven already is smiling upon you. And we, as the body of Christ, we need to have that same understanding. We need to let that touch our heart that we are working with God from a place of victory and delight in him, not trying to work so that we get the delight and the favor of the Father in heaven. He already loves you. He's already rejoicing over you. And when you have that perspective, it changes the way you carry yourself. It causes confidence to arise. You begin to see your weakness and failure and sin differently. You begin to see it in the way that the Bible shows it to us. That when we repent and confess our sin, we really are forgiven. And the Lord begins to establish this and he wants to establish this in the heart of his people. Many find their sense of value and worth because of what they do or because of their personality or because of some talent that they have or, or they have this particular job or skill set. And so they derive their sense of value from all the things that they can do. And God goes, I don't give you my favor because of what you can do for me. I don't give you my favor because of the skills that you possess 
or the amount of resources that you have or how many kids you have or how many kids you don't have or whether you're single or married or old or young. He goes, none of that changes my heart towards you. He goes, I love you and I want you to be with me forever. And so I'm gonna lavish my grace upon you before you've done anything. And I'm not just gonna lavish it upon you by telling you, I'm gonna demonstrate it through giving you my son and having him live the life you could not live and having the, him die the death that you should die and suffer the wrath of God that you should suffer. He goes, I'm going to walk this out for you as a demonstration of my grace and my favor upon your life. And he goes, and you don't get to argue with it. I mean, you can try, but you're not gonna talk God out of the way that he feels about you. The Lord wants us to connect with his favor over us and his choice to delight in us. I mean, this is so strategic because like I said a minute ago, we want to work, we wanna honor God and walk in obedience from that place of victory with him through the grace of God, not trying to get to the grace of God that's way out in the future. Well, Mary, her heart is struck with fear. I wanna highlight a couple of these verses. Verse 29 and 30, it says that she is troubled by the angel's saying. And the angel knows that she is fearful about what's happening. It's probably more than just his appearance. I mean, when you begin to wrestle with the plan of God for your life, you know, like the Bible says, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me, <laughs> you know, Sometimes we want Jesus to come into our lives so that he's the king and that we can rule and reign and get everything we want. And he goes, I want, you to, I want you to be joined to me by the grace of God. I want you to be a servant. I want you to walk in the way that I walked. The world, he says in the scripture, it's gonna hate you. It's gonna reject you. They're gonna hate you because they hated me. He goes, I want you to walk in my ways. I'm not promising you comfort. I'm not promising you convenience. I'm not promising you that the Disney hopes and dreams of your seven-year-old heart are gonna come to pass. Matter of fact, we might have to deal with those dreams. And I'm gonna give you new dreams. I'm gonna give you new hope. And I'm gonna give you a fresh new vision for what your life is about. And it's mostly in the age to come. Paul says that our life is hidden with Christ. He goes, your life and the way that you're living and all this, it's going to radically change and it might not be for the better in the outward circumstances of your life. And we need to remember that and we need to draw hope from that because often the circumstances that we're under presently are not good circumstances. Sometimes they are, but every person has two, three, four, five bad circumstances that they're facing. Maybe it's relational, could be financial, could be their health, could be the health of a, fr a family member or a loved one. Our circumstances are so challenging and the Lord goes, I don't want you to interpret your circumstances as my affection and favor on you or the lack of my affection and favor upon you. So I don't want you to look out at your circumstances and when your circumstances are good, that means, oh, my life is awesome and God likes me because then your circumstances in a year or two or three are gonna change 
And then if you interpret your circumstances as my heart, he goes, you're going to be so disillusioned because you're gonna think my circumstances are bad. My life is hard. There's a family member. There's a loved one. They are adversarial to me or I'm sick or someone else is sick. He goes, I don't want you to do that. I want you to see this truth. You are highly favored of me before you do anything. And so Mary is afraid. What's remarkable is that God favors Mary before she walks through her fear and doubt and reasoning like the passage shows us here. He says it even before she says anything. He doesn't say, Mary, it is me, Gabriel. Ah, ah, okay, okay, it's okay, Gabriel. I'm glad you're here. Okay, now you are highly favored. He doesn't do that. And I think one of the things that the body of Christ is so afraid of when we feel it in our own hearts or we hear it in the mouths of people around us is fear and doubt. And, I, and it, this is such a travesty because people, when they're under fear or doubting, they go silent. Why do they go silent? Because we haven't been very nice to them when they express fear and doubt. When they say, I'm afraid, we just start shouting, don't be afraid. That doesn't really convince us to not be afraid. You know, if you're up in your kid's room at night, I've been several times, and you know, the kids are like, I'm afraid. Well, the question is, what are you afraid of and why? Because I wanna give you perspective. I wanna give you information you don't have because if your perspective will change, if you have the light of understanding go on, you'll be able to face that fear and overcome that fear. And so when we're afraid, the Lord wants us to go to the truth about what he says about us. When we're facing fear, when we're facing doubt, when we're in a crisis of faith, when our life is just under pressure and we feel these waves of emotion, he goes, go back to what I said to you before you even overcame fear. You are highly favored before me and you have favor and my heart and my affection over you. I want you to walk through the fear. You may not be completely free of fear, but we can walk through it together. And so when we're under fear and doubt, which that's increasing, you know, in, in our culture, tons of anxiety. I mean, one of the most anxious societies that we live in, depression, all of these things that are going on. The Lord doesn't just tell us, don't be depressed. If you've ever been depressed and told a friend, hey, I'm depressed, and they just tell you, don't be depressed. It's like, Thank you, thank you for that. That will give me the strength that I need to not be depressed. No, you need more information that you don't have. You need a perspective change. You need a shift of your understanding. You need to be on your medication that you're supposed to be taking for that, da da da, da as you journey towards complete healing, et cetera, et cetera. But just the answer, don't be afraid, doesn't always work. Some consider their fear to be a disqualifying attribute of the grace of God. That if we're afraid in our heart, that suddenly the favor of God lifts off of us. And that's actually not true. It doesn't disqualify us from the grace of God. What it does is it stops us from experiencing and walking in the power that comes when we live in the truth of the grace of God. 
But the sun doesn't stop shining upon us just because we close our eyes. Hello. The grace of God is like the burning sun. You could close your eyes to it. You could go hide in a hole down in the earth, but it doesn't stop the fire of God's zeal and his affection over your life from burning. It never wavers. It never wanes. And the best way to get free from the power of doubt and darkness and unbelief is to get into the sunlight and open your eyes and get God's perspective and allow his grace and his affection to wash over our hearts. She didn't just fear, Mary didn't, but she actually began to reason as well, which is really interesting. The word reason here actually basically means, I have it in the notes, but it means to have an argument with yourself in your own mind. Hello. I've done that a time or two. And our, our, our heart and our emotions, we just vacillate back and forth arguing with ourselves. No, 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 you're wrong because of this. No, 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 you're right because of this. And we just go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And what we need is the interjection of the heart of Jesus. Because if you're like me, and we're like Mary, it means that we can't figure it out on our own. And we're gonna be left just vacillating in our own mind, in our own emotions back and forth that are broken, that are so far, far short. And the Lord goes, I've given you the testimony of scripture. I've given you other believers. I've given you the spirit of God inside of you. He goes, I want you to get on my page about how I'm seeing this whole scenario playing out for your life. But what I love is that Mary, just like us, she begins to fear. She goes, I don't know if I wanna say yes to this. And then she begins to reason in her own mind. And some people think that if we fear or if we doubt or if we begin to reason, that these are somehow going to undermine our faith and break our faith and that God is gonna be so disappointed in us. And I wanna tell you that these accounts that were written in the Bible were actually written so that we would reason and come to a conclusion about who God is and what he's like. That's the reason Luke, again, is writing this to Theophilus. He's going, Theophilus, you're going to reason, and I'm telling you, I'm an eyewitness of Jesus, and I'm gonna give you the account of his life, and you're gonna have to wrestle through it. That means that God is with us in the wrestle of our faith. He's with us in the doubts that we have, in the fears that we have. He doesn't just leave. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa I'm sensing you're getting afraid. I'm out of here. No, he doesn't do that. He stays right with us as we walk through that valley of the shadow of death, Psalm 23. He goes, I am with you through every season of the soul when you're afeared, when you're afraid, when you're doubting me, when you're doubting my goodness, you're doubting my grace. He goes, I'm with you the entire time. Christ fully knows the human heart and he doesn't expect us to ignore fear or abandon reason. Rather, he expects us to have times in our life where we feel fear and doubt and walk through it. And he's with us the entire way. Even when we're under that cloud of fear or heaviness, his affection and his favor does not change over our life. And he wants us to be established in that truth. Well, look at verse 38. Mary 
ends up surrendering to the Lord. She receives the favor of the Lord. She fears and doubts the plan of God. And then she ends up surrendering, not in uh, that the fear would all evaporate. She doesn't just surrender because the fear just suddenly leaves her. But she actually faces the fear of what she is about to endure and walk through. In other words, she counts the cost of what is being offered to her. And I think that in our discipleship and in our evangelism, it's important that we communicate to new believers and to children and to even ourselves that we would count the cost of what is actually being asked of us by the Lord. Jesus gives several parables of this in the gospel. He says, which of you, if you're going out to war, you don't count the number of troops you have, and if you have enough power to defeat the troops that you're you know, about to enter into conflict with. He goes, you need to count the cost. There is a real cost. The favor of God is free. But the fears are real. Why? Because the stigma is real. Mary really had to go and tell everyone she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She had to go and tell her fiance, Joseph, that she was pregnant. She had to, can you imagine being a young girl and looking at your fiance and telling him that you're pregnant, but it's by the Holy Spirit and just what he's thinking. I mean, the Lord sends that dude because he's so dense, an angel to go, hey, this is real and this is of me, you idiot, you know, get it together. You know, that's how I would talk to myself in my own mind. But I mean, the challenge is real. The pressures are real. The stigma is real. What will our families think about us? What will the people at our workplace think about us if they know that we are really given to Christ and we're about following him to the end of our days? There is a stigma and there is a cost. And even in spite of that cost, this is why Mary's declaration in verse 38 is so powerful because she says, let it be done to me. She goes, God has a plan and a purpose and I'm not trying to fit my way into that plan on my terms. I'm not trying to, okay, well, lay out everything that's gonna happen to me the next 80 years and then I'll decide if I'm gonna say yes to this plan and this purpose. She goes, no, let the plan of God and the heart of God and all that he intends for me, let it come crashing down on me. I will bear it as a servant of the Lord. And that's what the Lord is asking of us as his people. Don't try and just find your way in on your own terms to the plan of God. Don't just try and negotiate with him. Don't just try and talk him out of a specific command or a specific call to obedience or the embracing of suffering and trial and tribulation. Don't just negotiate with God. Rather, let your heart be like the heart of Mary in humility that says, whatever plan you have for me, God, let it be done to me. Not what can I go do for you. Let your plan be done to me. And it's the declaration of complete surrender before the Lord. It's only when we're convinced, paragraph C, it's only that when we're convinced of the grace of God, remember that the angel tells her of the grace of God first, you're highly favored, before we have the determination to actually say yes and walk in obedience. In other words, many believers 
They're trying to walk out obedience before the Lord without a revelation of the grace of God and his affection for them. So they're trying to please God. They're trying to grit it out, just kind of grind it out day after day, year after year. This is what I do as a believer. But they haven't yet come to the realization that God delights in them and that they're highly favored of him. And when you connect with that truth, it is powerful to your spirit. It's the way that God has actually made you to live and operate and function. He goes, I'm not gonna show up, give them the plan, and then give them favor after the plan is done. He goes, I'm gonna show up, I'm gonna give them favor first, then I'm gonna tell them of my plan. And he knew the exact way, and he knew the exact words that Gabriel would communicate to this young girl so that she would come under the submission of the plan of God and say, yes, God, I fully surrender to you. I give you my life, I give you my plans, I give you my marriage, I give you my dreams, I give you everything. Because this plan of God, having a baby out of wedlock in that day could completely break you. I mean, it could completely devastate the rest of your life. And she says, let it be done to me in accordance with your word. Well, just in conclusion, we'll have the worship team come out. What is the Lord trying to convince you of? even in this Advent season. Number one, he's trying to convince you of his unmerited favor over your life and his delight in you and his choice to put his affections on you. And if you disagree with that, that's okay. The Bible tells us that even when we were his
change with the light of your hand.